Hello and welcome to the Innovation Forum podcast for Friday 18th of August with me, Ian Welsh. Coming up is the latest in our series of reflections from the Innovation Forum Spring Conferences. When they were in New York City at the Sustainable Apparel and Textiles event, Toby Webb and Krishnamanda, Vice President for Sustainability at Lensing, talked about supply chain decarbonisation. First though is our regular quick roundup of some sustainable business news. The impact of plant photosynthesis absorbing carbon dioxide had been hoped by some climate scientists to be a potential global warming mitigator. However, a new study from the University of New Hampshire and highlighted new scientists suggests that in fact climate change impacts are drying the atmosphere, which can slow rates of photosynthesis. The study finds that rates have slowed over the past couple of decades. Scientists analysed ground measurement of carbon dioxide and water vapour from around the world between 1982 and 2016 from sensors in a variety of environments. These were compared with satellite images to correlate plant growth, and the data crunched to estimate global impacts. The slowing of photosynthesis rates is, the study suggests, down to what's called a vapour pressure deficit that offsets the rise in carbon dioxide. The Science-Based Targets Initiative has come in for some criticism recently for lacking teeth and not calling out companies for lack of progress. Corporates have been falling over themselves to publicly announce alignment with the initiative's targets designed to enable all to do their bit to limit global temperature rises in line with the Paris Climate Agreement. However, many companies have been slow to follow up announcements with specific targets that should be submitted to SBTI for validation. The initiative has now grasped the nettle and has flagged dozens of companies for not setting out climate targets in a timely fashion. Companies that declare they are going to set science-based targets are placed on a database by SBTI. They then have two years to work out a plan using the initiative's guidance that shows how they will meet short and long-term targets. The plans must be submitted to SBTI and approved for the companies to remain on the database. In the past, the initiative has simply removed companies from the database if they did not submit plans in time. The new policy is for non-compliant companies to be highlighted and labelled commitment removed. SBTI says that it hopes that this increased transparency will deter companies from making announcements and then not following up with sufficient vigour. We shall see. Legal challenges targeting government and corporate inactivity on climate have become important drivers of change, according to a report from the United Nations Environment Programme. The Harv UNEP says there have been over 2,300 lawsuits relating to the climate crisis globally, 200 of which have been filed in the past year. The cases have covered a wide variety of issues such as government climate targets and corporate greenwashing. Nations that have been taken to court include France and Switzerland, which have both been accused of violating citizen human rights. The government of Australia faced action from a group of islanders off the coast of Queensland for failing to protect their homes from climate change impact. Many of the cases have been in the US, including a recent high-profile action raised against the state of Montana by a group of young people. And the UK has been forced to revisit its net zero strategy following a court case brought by climate campaigners. Unsurprisingly, oil and gas companies are the most frequent corporate targets, alongside other high-emitting sectors. Dutch airline KLM was, of course, recently forced to scrap an advertising campaign suggesting that its passengers were flying in an environmentally responsible manner. It's not all climate positive news, however. UNEP says that there is a trend for lawsuits to seek to delay climate action and for companies to gain compensation for the costs of abiding by new rules. Coming up now is a conversation my colleague Toby Webb had in New York at the Innovation Forum Sustainable Apparel and Textiles event with Lensing's Krishna Mandar. Thank you for making some very interesting comments in the session. Now that we are on the record, as opposed to being off the record in our Chatham House session, what were you saying on the panel today, Krishna? Our topic was around decarbonisation of supply chains. What were your core messages? 
The panel was very interesting, actually. The panelists were very complimenting and also challenging each other. Core message I was giving is that right now we are treating many things as one-size-fits-all solution. But when you look at how different countries are actually set up, the conditions in India and Bangladesh and Pakistan are very different in terms of energy systems and their infrastructure. So you cannot use the same kind of targets everywhere. The brands should approach suppliers more nuancedly, so maybe context-specific of the supplier situation. At the same time, it's also been seen that many manufacturers and suppliers feel it's like brand-centric brand are pushing targets on them. So we should also change the narrative and the paradigm here that the players are actually willing to do the things, but we need to create the ecosystem for them to have different solutions so that it becomes a supplier-led and brand-supported. So we're seeing coalitions of companies in the supply chain getting together and starting to do this themselves so that they can present it perhaps as a, an opportunity for them rather than a kind of top-down initiative for brands. Do you see many of those kind of networks emerging? Where's that happening and what's the potential? There are so many coalitions coming nowadays. For example, today we have on the panel Apparel Impact Institute. They are doing a fantastic job. They just got started from my point of view. They are bringing $1.7 billion in, I mean, kind of commitment. Of course, this is a huge investment need in the, in the supply chain, so maybe we need hundreds of billions, but we are getting there. So I also wanted to bring to the attention people like Textile Exchange, Sustainable Apparel Coalition. Mm. So these are industry platforms who are actually talking about some of the solutions, especially I'm on the board of Sustainable Apparel Coalition. So I can speak for that. What we are doing there is that we have a strategic plan which has been evolving from a tool-centric to become collective action and impact centric. So in the next decade, we would like to create more collaborations, more partnerships to provide solutions on the ground in these producing countries. I would invite everybody to be part of those platforms like Sustainable Apparel Coalition, who is a convener in this area. Others may be coming up, for example, for chemicals, GDHC, Zero Discharge of Hazardous Chemicals is mm -hmm. also there. There are platforms who can provide solutions and we are also reducing the audit fit by using some of these tools from these organizations. I would encourage people to do more of that. Where are you seeing activity that impresses you around decarbonizing supply chains? Are there particular countries? We had Talho on the, from the Pakistan Environmental Network on the panel. He was talking about the work being done in Pakistan by Pakistani companies coming together, which is a really inspiring example. So that's a good one. What are some of the others that you're seeing, perhaps in your own supply chain? So that was really exciting what Talha's team is doing there. I mean, I would love to see those kind of initiatives in each producing country, like we have 12, probably like Vietnam, Indonesia, China, India. So we don't have that yet. This is a very good role model and example. I would love to see that vacuum being filled by some entrepreneurs who can actually understand the current situation of that country and bring our international organization like Apparel Impact Institute and the local suppliers and the local stakeholders to create solutions that work for that country. I can only say that right now we are doing a piecemeal approach. Each country has its own, but not like the Pakistan Environmental Trust. So I would like to see more of those.
That's a great model, isn't it? Well, Talha and I did a podcast about that yesterday, listeners, so you can find that accompanying this one somewhat on the Innovation Forum podcast stream. But let's talk a bit about decarbonising your own supply chain then, Krishna. Where are you up to at the moment? Give us some headlines. Where are you most active? Some of the successes. We have Science Space Target, an approved one in 2019. So our goal is to reduce 50% of our specific CO2 emissions by 2030 for scope one and two, three together. What we have done as a roadmap is first we look into where we can actually source renewable electricity. We have nine facilities. Out of nine, we have converted six of the facilities. They became 100% renewable electricity based now. To give you context of those emissions and their reductions, they together contribute to 250,000 tons to 300,000 tons of CO2 reduction, which is equivalent to around four to five big brand scope one and two emissions. Mm-hmm. Even though we are a manufacturer, but we are able to do that kind of impact mm. by just investing in six of the facilities. And it's not easy because we talked in the conference also, some of the great things came out like uh, renewable energy certificates doesn't work in all the countries. We need to still find ways to make the RECs that are internationally acceptable, that will be additional and also no duplication. So we have that guarantee so that it could be part of your print reduction, not just like buying. We are facing those challenges, but with these six countries, we bought these RECs that are acceptable and six of the facilities. We are also transforming one other facility from coal to natural gas completely with a potential of 200,000 tons reduction. However, I was explaining in the panel, we need around something like 12 permissions or permits to get this boiler having a natural gas connection to the supply. This was in China, right? China, yeah. It's really bureaucratic and very difficult to get that kind of initiative there, but I'm optimistic that it will happen this year or early next year. But you need permit for boiler or the pipeline and the connection and the gas supply. And the other challenge is that people don't know that natural gas is not given a preferential treatment to the textile industry. It's given to the domestic consumer. So like you and me, if we live there, how do you get textile industry access to low carbon fuels, right? In some countries, it's not easy. And also it is two to three times more expensive than coal then who will pay for that price? And most Mm. of the times, everybody is asking for cost-neutral solutions. Energy efficiency is plausible with cost neutrality because you might need two to three years to get the retinon investment. But we are talking about renewable electricity where you need to pay a few extra dollars or cents. And also natural gas is two to three times expensive. You need to have commitment from brands and retailers who can spend extra for those kind of reductions. Now you're a viscose business. Yes. You're dealing with brands. Viscose is a very fast growing material, not just in the way it actually grows, (laughs) but in terms of its use. Market growth, yeah. So what are the customers you're selling to saying about this need for support? We are lucky to have some of our brand partners. For example, we have Viscose branded as Ecovero Viscose, so which comes from 50% reduction of CO2 compared to generic Viscose available in the market. Since we are able to provide a differentiation to the customer, we are also getting differential treatment from the supplier. Premium product, premium price. It's a premium product, premium price. But is that the only way at the moment? That's the only way. So nobody is going to give you, despite you do the great things, but if they can't differentiate outside, they can't actually support you. How can all the suppliers in the value chain can do this, right? We are in a lucky position, just to be very honest, to differentiate ourselves, but not everybody can do that. We've had conversations at the conference that we need a blended finance approach, right? We need those networks of local companies. 
We need local institutional support, but there needs to be international banks. There's a role for groups like IFC. And that coalition approach, that's what needs to decarbonize industrial operations in emerging economies. Blended finance has definitely its role to play. However, we also need to bring the conversation about equity and justice into these negotiations. If you look at the profit made on a product, the Lordes Foundation or CNA Foundation has done a study who in the parallel value chain getting the most profit out of it. If you can see that maybe 60 to 70% is brands and retailers and the remaining 30% is with the value chain partners. The impact is on the other way around. The, the value chain is 90-95% impact and the brands and retailers maybe 5 to 10% impact. The actor who has the most money, he has the least impact from their own operations. Value chain partners have the most impact but least capital. So you also need to find a way to balance and bring equity into these conversations so we cannot actually put all the burden on the suppliers if there is some commitment and sharing of the risk but also cost by the brand partners then we will actually achieve net yeah. zero. Otherwise, it will be really, really difficult and we may not actually hit the timeline. We are seeing some useful applications of blended finance approaches in agriculture, for yeah. example, in driving resilience of ingredient sourcing in India and other places. Um, let's see how that develops. Just finally then, what are your reflections overall on the conference? I think you've been involved with Innovation Forum's work for a while. Two questions, I suppose. What are your takeaways from the conference? And secondly, you know, how can we do better? I believe it's a great platform to openly talk about things, but also learn from others' perspective because we are not living in a bubble, right? We all need to understand each other. And that's what happens in these conferences like yours. I know every conversation has layered. We might start talking at the high level, superficial level, and then you go to different levels, like two through three levels. Then you hit the real weeds in the system where we need to provide solutions. So I feel like in this conference, in some sessions, we are going to the required levels and some we are actually keeping at very high level. I think we need a balance, to be honest, because not everybody can follow. Mm -hmm. At the same time, sometimes at the high level picture also, we learn from different angle, right? I found those in the conference and I would also like to do more of the digging deeper the deep because stuff. so that we can find solutions together yep. as a convener or a platform that yep. you can also do it. And also the second thing is that it's really great to hear so many brands speaking about their programs and how they are doing and also certification providers. It would be nice to have even more suppliers also part of the conference. I agree. And uh, I think the, the European version of this conference that we ran in April had a lot of suppliers along. We work with some partners, governments and others to bring them. It's difficult for us to fund all of that. Exactly. Ask. I realise that. That's why I'm saying well, categorically. You bring your most interesting supplier with you next year. We'll put you both on an agenda. How about <laughs> that? And you can come and run in this breakout room that we're sat in now to record this. You can come run, facilitate a session on solving problems that you see. Because that's the kind of thing we need to get to in terms Absolutely. of our breakouts. I like this uh, challenge that you throw at me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, Krishna, thank you so much for your time today. Uh, thanks for taking part in the conference and the podcast. Thank you, Toby. The Innovation Forum website is, as ever, the place to go for all the usual analysis and interviews. And we'll be back in a few days with our regular Monday briefing when B. Stevenson and I will talk about some things to look out for next week. But that's it for now. I've been Welsh. And until next time, goodbye. Goodbye.